Welcome to the fourth episode of Digging Deeper, in which we discuss UCEM's Harold Samuel Research Prize. Joining me for the discussion is UCEM's Director of Research, Innovation and Partnerships, Alad Williams. Hi, Alad. Hi, Andrew. How are you doing? I'm good, thank you. Yourself? I'm not too bad, thank you. So we've got the both of us from UCEM here. We also have the first two recipients of the Harold Samuel Research Prize. So first off, we have the founder of Alpha Property Insight and the Red Foundation, Dan Hughes. Hi, Dan. Hello, how are you? Thank you very much for having me. No worries. How, how are you? I'm very well, thank you very much. Always good when the research is being published, so better now than I was before. <laughs> good stuff, yes. A, a long journey, but but good that it's come to a conclusion now and, and you can share it, obviously, with, with the wider sector. And Chartered Building Surveyor and Associate Professor at the University of Reading, Adrian Tagg. Hi, Adrian. Hi, Andrew. How are you doing? I'm very good, thanks. Good to be, good to be part of this. And so, so first off, Alid, can you tell me what the Harold Samuel Research Prize is? Well, the Harold Samuel Research Prize uh, awards annually to support innovative research projects with the potential to provide industry-changing insight um, for the wider built environment. The projects that we funded um, can be undertaken by anybody working um, in or an interest and knowledge of the built environment sector uh, based anywhere globally. Great stuff. And, and how did the award come about? Well, the award came about to mark UCM centenary year. Uh, we, we launched this new annual uh, research prize in 2019, and this has the potential to spark many exciting opportunities uh, through the Harold Samuel Research Prize. Now, the inspiration for this prize stems from the Harold Samuel uh, Educational Trust, HSET, which was set up by the late Lord Samuel of Witchcross, and he was the founder and chairman for many years of Land Securities PLC, who were the UK's largest commercial property investment and development company. So, so it came about through the trust, and, and they basically ring-fenced a certain amount of money for this uh, prize, which obviously last year... During the uh, property awards ceremony uh, we hosted, uh, we, we f- gave our first awards. And then, obviously, we've got you here alongside our, our two first recipients. So what is your role uh, with the prize? Uh, well, the individuals who applied to the prize, in this case, um, Adrian and Dan, who were successful, uh, needed to make a detailed written submission to UCM. And these submissions should focus on economic, social or environmental aspects of the built environment. Now, the prize was judged and awarded by an independent panel of experts uh, who review and assess the applicant's proposals and determine the prize winner. Now, in order to help the applicants be successful, UCM did allocate a critical friend uh, to help guide them uh, and enable them to have a successful and productive outcome. Okay, so, so you coordinate basically the whole running of, of the prize and, and then working with the panel and an external consultant, perhaps, we might use for you to describe them, uh, come up with the prize winners. That's right, yeah. It's done yeah. all independently, impartially and transparently. Fantastic. So as per the terms of the award, the completed research is due 12 months after the property awards where the recipients are announced and last week we published Dan's research report titled The Role of Standards in Enabling a Data-Driven UK Real Estate Market. So uh, congratulations on completing the research, Dan. Thank you very much. It's good to get it out there and published. 
And uh, yeah, now, now that you can look back on it all, I mean, how did you find the research process? Yeah, it was good. I mean, I guess with any research project, you're always going to discover new things. And the, and the point of this was very much to take a top-down look at the role of standards and how they influence data rather than a bottom-up granular um, starting point. So it was very interesting. We, we certainly found there's an awful lot of data standards out there. The real estate sector is very well catered for in a, in a standards point of view. So it was a fascinating piece of research to go through. And obviously, there were, were there were key takeaways which you wanted to uh, publish, having you know gone through all of that data and and the standards which are available uh, within the industry. So, so what are the key takeaways from the report? Yeah, sure. So, I think we're, we're working against a backdrop where where there is clearly uh, more and more data being created all the time, and more and more data being used within the real estate sector. But crucially, a lot of the sector at the moment is very siloed. And that's not just how we act in terms of jobs, whether that's stage of a life cycle or type of job role, but also the data underneath it, uh, which is often with working towards standards. It's often structured to some degree, but that is always structured within those uh, silos themselves. So against a backdrop where there is more and more data being used all the time and the life cycle performance of a building becomes more important, there is a real challenge and opportunity for standards to be used to, to help this. I think there are four things that we're looking for in terms of next steps, which highlight the, the challenges that came out of this. The first thing is it's incredibly difficult to find the standards that are out there um, unless you know you're looking for them. And of course, if you work within a particular silo, you're already looking there. But to find what's more widely available is incredibly difficult. So we're certainly calling for there to be improved discoverability of the standards that in, uh, influence the role of data. The second thing is that they're often not uh, connected. Now, that doesn't mean there should be one data standard for every application of the built environment for everything by any stretch. But we do need to think more clearly about how data will flow through the life cycle. So if we pick on valuations as an example, data sets that are created at construction phase, in operation, around sustainability, about connectivity, are all going to flow more naturally into the valuation process in the future. And we need to work out how we make sure that that's uh, done in a, an effective way. I think that the third of four is that... Uh, there's a, there's a lack of understanding sometimes about the value of standards. Now, of course, standards mean different things to different people. One of the things that I certainly discovered on this was the, the breadth of, of different opinions about what a standard is or should be and what, what isn't. But whatever it is, standardising the approach to data and how we do things in real estate has to be a positive thing for efficiency. And understanding the value of those standards is something that we really need to understand, which then feeds into uh, how they're funded, how they're made, and how they're produced. And then the last point really is about the role of people. So uh, clearly the role of people is going to be very important in the future. Data and technology may take some of the more automated tasks, but humans are still going to be responsible for a lot of the more human skills around advice and judgment and ethics. But as those roles rely on more data, it's going to be increasingly hard for them to understand the different data standards or, or standards that impact the data that they're using and they should be relying on. So we see that their role is going to get more challenging as they have to be dependent on more and more standards uh, to understand the data that's being created for their advice to be provided. And already since this has been released, that there's been a really nice amount of activity out on social media in terms of the responses from from people within the industry, sort of saying that this is a great piece of research. So, so 
you know, looking ahead, what, what kind of outcomes do you hope the research leads to? Yeah, there has. I've been um, incredibly grateful for, for all the positive comments, which are, which are great to see. And, and really importantly for me, they've come from all different corners of the real estate sector, which is really the real point of this paper. Uh, in terms of outcome, I hope this is going to be the start of a conversation. Real estate is unquestionably going to be more data-driven in the future. And we've either got two options. We can work with this in an effective, efficient way where the data flows better across um, the life cycle and we can make better informed decisions and know the quality of the data that's been produced. Or we can continue in a pretty haphazard way where uh, it's a lot blurrier and more inefficient. So for me, what I really like out of this is the start of a conversation, which I think has already started on social media, as you pointed out, to really come together and address how do we take this forward as a sector. And I don't think there are any easy answers. I don't think this is going to be a, a single uh, solution to this. But just because it's a large problem and it's going to be complicated to solve doesn't mean that we don't want to start addressing it now. And in particular, the standard setting bodies that are already out there, of which there are many brilliant ones, um, I think need to work together to start addressing some of these uh, challenges and working out how we can move them forward in the future. Great stuff. Thanks, Dan. So, so hopefully, you know, you, you've highlighted the opportunity there and hopefully these different organisations can come together to work on a way which m- makes standards, um, well, that basically, a standard which is applicable across different parts of the real estate sector. So, yeah, it's great that the conversation has started and, and yeah, I really do hope that um, this does lead to change and uh, a more efficient UK industry moving forwards. Our second winning research project was Adrian's, which examines commercial attitudes to disability in the built environment and is due to be published very soon. So, Adrian, what inspired you to look into this subject? Thanks, Andrew. Uh, My inspiration for this research really was twofold. Uh, The first being having to care for a wheelchair user and really struggling with the basic concept of accessing goods and services. It really shaped our whole day and plans your day in getting into you know, do things, see things, visit things, and it makes the whole thing really non-spontaneous. So from that perspective as a user, the other thing is having over 20 years of working in commercial property as a chartered building surveyor, I was always sort of intrigued how investors were always keen to spend big on landmark buildings, sort of fit-outs and, and finishes, but always looked at the minimum legal requirement when it came to legal compliance. And I kind of shaped this theory in my head, a fire door theory, I call it, where if the law says fit a 30-minute fire door, no investor's prepared to fit a one-hour fire door. Well, that just doesn't work with inclusivity. The more inclusivity you offer, uh, the better it is for everyone. And, and what have you learned during your research? Um, well, it's been really fascinating. Uh, the biggest thing I, I learned is, is this perception gap. It's, this was evident in a research by Scope some, some years ago. And those that have disability um, perceive access if you like, different to those that don't have disability. And this this gap is really important because uh, if people perceive access not to be an issue, they're more likely to discriminate on the basis of access. And the other thing that aligned to this is of the respondents from the commercial sector, so of commercial survey respondents, only 6%, 6% identified as having a disability. Therefore, they lack the experiential understanding um, and rely heavily on, on, on standards and guidance. And I think this links quite nicely to Dan's research when he talked about, um, you know, this, this information available in the built environment. Uh, and there's an overwhelming feeling amongst commercial investors and commercial sort of surveyors that there really is value in providing an inclusive environment. So there's always the question over the funding and where this is going to come from. 
and I kind of floated it out there whether whether users would be prepared to pay a little bit more, a little bit extra over and above if they knew it went to providing accessibility. And it was reasonably well received, um, but certainly got a, a big no from those in the disability community who were quite resounding in their willingness to pay extra. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it's so important to, to be inclusive and, and, and it, it, it tends to be one of those um, almost buzzwords you, you hear many companies talk about. But um, I think that, that's what really stands out about your research is, is that you're looking at the actions. What, what are they actually doing to back up the, the statements, which, um, like I say, a lot of corporate statements will include the likes of uh, inclusivity um and and that really comes across so um yeah really important piece of research and and dan was just speaking before um about hoping to have an impact where the standards um it's opening up that conversation to the community and hopefully bringing about change as well in terms of different parts of the real estate sector deciding to go with one standard which fits for more than just one section uh, so it's more standardised. So on that front, I mean, what impact do you hope your research will have? Uh, yeah, Carol, I think standards are really important. That's one thing I would like to get somewhere in the future, a standardised look at how we, we grade and rate accessibility for commercial property. But I think the, the overwhelming message to take forward is, is to promote opportunity over obligation. You know, t- for 25 years since the, um, the start of the or the introduction of the uh, Disability Discrimination Act in 1995, we've had this um, kind of stick over carrot approach. Uh, and, and quite rightly so, that you know, people should be penalised for not providing access and, and discriminating, but it's not really worked. So I'm keen to look more of the carrots over the, the stick from a commercial perspective. I think if there's fi- financial and commercial value in it, it's coming in through the, the back door of investors, if you like, getting them to think about it from that perspective and align that to some kind of standardisation, uh, I think it could be a real positive for, for improving inclusivity. I really do hope that it does have that impact and, and that uh, the sector really do take notice of the, the research and, uh, and start to act. So uh, thank you very much, Adrian. You're welcome. So, Alid, what stood out for you about Dan's and Adrian's research proposals? Well, I think Dan's uh, taken the wind out of my sails, but just to echo what Dan's already said on his research around the role of data data standards uh, in the UK real estate market, what really stood out for me is you know the need within the industry for a standardised set of data standards, um, but working together collegiately to increase both the discoverability of standards and the interoperability of standards. You know, why? Well, we need to fully realise their potential and full value in the data-driven real estate sector. And secondly, um, it's all about people uh, and connections, really, and and how people can add value through their professional judgment uh, in an interdisciplinary way. Secondly, uh, in terms of Adrian's uh, proposal on public and commercial attitudes to disability in the built environment, you know, this piece of work work really highlighted the relevance of the topic area of accessibility uh, and inclusivity within the built environment, which is really, really commendable. It attempted to join the dots between you know, the general public attitudes toward disability uh, and those actually encountering them on the ground uh, in terms of access barriers, either you know, due to a lack of inclusivity. Uh, but the important thing here really is how to recognise this and how to change things for the better and inform commercial attitudes uh, to development in the future to make the built environment even more accessible uh, both now and in the future.
Thanks, Alad. And, and, and Dan, I mean, how much did you know about uh, Adrian's research? And um, and what are your thoughts on, on his research as well? Yeah, well, I haven't seen the research yourself, but the um, the updates that the UCM have been providing about it, I've certainly seen uh, throughout the process. And I think uh, I think that, that uh, the impact of, of how real estate works with uh, disabilities of all types, I think, is incredibly important. So any piece of work that works towards helping people understand what they are, and how they can deal with those to be a bit more open to that, I think, is uh, absolutely essential. So very much looking forward to reading it. So, Adrian, how much do you know about uh, Dan's research? I mean, you have already referred to it, so you're, you're aware of it. But what do you think about it? Well, actually, I think it raises a, a really important issue. And I, I can really wholly sort of resonate with it, um, this horizontally fragmented kind of thing with standards, you know, I, I'm myself, I'm really guilty of being siloed with the information I work within as a building surveyor. Uh, and while we have our own standards and publications, there are so many more examples of where this overlaps. And that's something that, that Dan took into his research. And I think um, having standardised ways of doing things, a uniformity, it makes natural sense to, you know, engender this collaborative working. And I think that's one of the, the key findings I took from from his work. It was really well done, I thought. Thank you both for discussing your research reports. Um, and to finish off, we would like to run a couple of quickfire questions with one-line responses. And with this being focused on research and knowing how much hard work goes into your submissions, they're motivation-based. First off, what's the best piece of advice you've been given? Um, and Dan, if you'd like to go first on this one. Yeah, sure. I guess um, from a research perspective, one of the best pieces of advice uh, I've always been given is about uh, staying uh, objective and considering the, the perspective from all perspectives, the, the issue from all perspectives, to make sure that you don't come at it with an agenda to start with. So there's obviously a premise that the research is based on, but after that, to really explore the objectiveness of where the uh, answers are. That's a great piece of advice and uh, one which I think our students could definitely take on board for when they're writing their, their dissertation assignments and, and, and other people, of course, uh, running with their research. So, so Alid, um, what do you say is the best piece of advice you've been given? The best piece of advice I've been given is trying to articulate your research proposal initially uh, in no more than one page. You know, make sure you've got your aims, uh, your objectives, and how you intend to meet those. I think that's the best piece of advice we can give as a starting point for students you know, commencing their dissertations and project work. Um, well, it's always important to kind of listen to what people say, but one of the, the most interesting and best pieces of advice I received was from uh, a former boss of mine in Brussels, uh, who really set up um, the RICS in Belgium, fantastic ambassador for surveying. Uh, and he said to me, listen, it's all, we have to check, check, check again. So he's talking about why clients would pay more for the, the services they provided was that the, we checked and we checked and we checked again. So that really much taking um, quality over quantity uh, and enforcing that upon uh, how we treat clients much more with quality um, in the way we do things as surveyors. That's the best advice I think I've been given. Good stuff. Uh, so the second of our quick fire questions, uh, and it's a biggie, who or was or is your hero or at least someone you look up to? Um, and Aled, if you'd like to go first on this one. Uh, my hero was was my father. Uh, he, he was a, a monumental mason. Um, he, he was truly uh, motivated and resilient. And that's something that stayed with me over the years, that if you keep on going, 
uh, putting one foot in front of the other. You will get there in the end. It's a journey, uh, and obviously every journey has a destination. Thank you for sharing that. And um, and Dan? That's a, that's a tough question. I, mm. I guess I'm going to cop out slightly and say that a lot of my heroes and people I, I look up to, uh, aside from my father, which I would agree with, is um, comes from the rugby world. So I would pick on someone like Phil Bennett or Jonah Lomu, who are both heroes of mine in the rugby world. Mm. Yes, I wouldn't like to be tackling Jonah Lomu, that, that's for sure. Um, and, and no one would have uh, in the past, of course. I think 95 Rugby World Cup, I think, was the big one, wasn't it? For, uh, it was indeed, yeah. Yeah, for him really showing his um, his mettle and, uh, yeah, never a prospect which any defence wanted to look up and see. And t- Goodness me, uh, too many heroes. I'm sports crazy. I read a lot of uh, newspapers. I follow current affairs. There's so many incredible heroes in, in uh, you know, in activism, in the environment, in, you know, in culture, in politics, in all sorts. So I've just kind of always, and I'll round this off by saying I've always admired, you know, those people that are aspirational tend to have uh, unifying features being they have dedication and sacrifice to their cause. And I will always remember a story I once heard of the, the great uh, decathlete, uh, Davy Thompson, who said that he trained on Christmas Day as he knew his rival would not be doing the same. And I think, um, you know, even so, in a recent interview with um, the um, sports promoter, Eddie Hearn, and he said, listen, you know, no one will outwork me. And I think that's kind of the essence of it for me is dedication and hard work. And that's really my mantra. I think that's a, that's a great mantra to have. And, uh, and yeah, just pushing yourself to be the very best you can be, you know, being your, your harshest critic, I think is something we can all, again, uh, take on board so that we always know that we're doing our very best and not, um, you know, not, not underperforming or underachieving. And then just finally, another biggie, to be fair. I mean, it's motivation-based, so uh, it's going to be. But uh, what is your greatest achievement so far, would you say? Um, and Dan, if you'd like to go first on this one, please. That's another, it's another great question. Uh, I, I guess you're only really as good as your last piece of work, as the saying goes. So I'm going to say publishing this piece of report. This report. Great stuff. And, uh, and yes, an, another reason why you should seek out the report there. Really fantastic piece of work. And, and yeah, certainly exactly what this Harold Samuel Research Prize was was hoping to gain. And Alid? Well, my greatest achievement, I think, is coming to work at University College of Estate Management um, because um, the people there are so passionate, uh, engaging, and they all strive for excellence, you know, which which matches my value set as well. Great stuff and something I would, I would very much agree with. Uh, yeah, great, great place to work. Again, a, a difficult question. I, I tend to take a more holistic approach. Um, if I was to say, uh, you know, I left school with one O-level, uh, effectively one GCSE, uh, and to becoming an associate professor and a published author in building domain, that's really my greatest achievement. Um, but if I could make a, a you know, significant difference to inclusivity in the built environment, that would uh, really surpass anything I've done to date. And uh, I think I'm, I'm really only halfway there to where I want to go. So there's lots to do, lots of um, hard work and dedication, definitely. Well, I hope that will uh, would be realised and, uh, and yeah, a more inclusive uh, workspace environment uh, for the built environment would be, um, would be opened up thanks to, in part, to your research. That would be great. So, um, and exactly what the Harold Samuel Research Prize is for. Well, thank you all. Really interesting to get the, the lowdown uh, on, on the Harold Samuel Research Prize. 
and our two winning submissions, which, you know, 12 months on from that face-to-face property awards, our last one until uh, hopefully next year, where we revealed that Dan and Adrian had won with their submissions um, and, and the research reports are with us. Well, certainly Dan's is with us now and Adrian's is, is going to be with us very shortly. Um, so you can look out in the latest publication section on our website, which is ucem.ac.uk, uh, to t- have a read of the research report. And uh, in just over a week's time, we'll be finding out who's won this year's Harold Summer Research Prize. So do keep an eye out on our social media channels. And uh, yeah, we look forward to seeing what other great pieces of research uh, will spring out of this prize. Thanks once again, Alid, Dan and Adrian. And thanks for listening.